0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2024 special is brought to you by Masing. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Malaysia's national budget was unveiled on Friday, October the 13th, just under a week ago and this was done by the Prime Minister and Finance Minister Datut Sri Anwar Ibrahim with a total allocation of three hundred and ninety three point eight billion ringgit, a 1.4% increase from the previous budget. All this week on Enterprise BizBytes, we've been dissecting the budget and what it means for the business community and Today, we continue that exploration with a look at what it has in store for the startup ecosystem including a 1.5 billion ringgit allocation from JLCs and GLICs to invest in the startup ecosystem or more specifically, the high growth, high value sectors and the 28 million ringgit allocation to develop and boost my startup, among other things. For context along the week, we've covered quite a few areas already. On Monday, we looked at the top line issues that impacted the business community. Tuesday, we dived into digitalization initiatives. And yesterday, we talked specifically on SME issues, all of which are available on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app under Enterprise Biz Bytes. Today, you will learn whether budget 2024 hits the mark for the startup ecosystem and potential areas of concern with Dr. Silverpillan River Karaja, Senior Partner and Co-Founder at ScaleUp Malaysia. If you have any thoughts on this, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Uh, Doc, always good to have you on the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you, Roshan. Always good to be on the show. Uh,
0: So, I think we last had our conversation exactly a week ago. So, it's a good time to catch up to see whether the budget has hit the mark. So, let's start with top-line reactions from the announcement last week.
1: Um, I think it was actually a good budget for the startup ecosystem. Um, I think we already knew that the government was very focused on the startup ecosystem. There was a lot of uh, chatter from all the ministers Uh, especially Rafizi talking about the startup ecosystem. So actually, it's been really good. I think there's money coming in as well, which is good. Some of our recommendations, the 100 Sunicorn recommendations came through as well. I'm quite pleased with that as well. Uh, I think on the whole, it's a pretty good budget. I'm not sure whether it will help us achieve our target of being top 30 ecosystems in the world, but I, I guess we can talk a little bit more about that later.
0: No, for sure. Um, how much of the Sunicon wishlist made the cut?
1: So uh, I was very pleased actually, because you know we had nine recommendations and we had, in a sense, three recommendations that came through. So a 30% hit rate for recommendations, <laughs> I guess, is pretty good. We requested on the talent side, that visas be provided for foreign students to study in Malaysian universities, and that was actually fully approved. So now foreign students can get a long-term visa, and so they can actually work in Malaysia. And That, I think, will have a big impact on the talent issue that we have in Malaysia, because at any one time, there's 150 to 170,000 foreign students. So that's really positive. The second thing was we talked about local companies acquiring local technology, and actually, we said that there should be a framework that allows them to acquire from local companies. And $27 million was allocated for a program specifically to promote buy local and to buy products and services from companies that are registered under My STI, which is a MOST certification of technology companies. So that's the second one. And one of our requests was for GLCs, to allocate at least 1% of their profits above 100 million to invest in or acquire Malaysian companies. I think we got a little bit better than that because the government said 1.5 billion ringgit uh, from GLCs and GLICs will be used to promote high growth, high value entrepreneurship, including investments. So it didn't say about acquiring companies, but at least, you know, it said for investment. So I think those three uh, recommendations came through and we are quite happy with that, actually.
0: For the other six that didn't seem to materialise, were there any recommendations in particular that you were a bit maybe more disappointed that didn't make the cut than the others?
1: I think we would have been a little bit disappointed with the fact that there wasn't enough in terms of supporting women entrepreneurs because we had a recommendation that GLCs or PLCs that buy technology products from women-founded uh, companies should be given a double-tech deduction. So that didn't actually come through. There are other support systems for women entrepreneurs, like funding for women entrepreneurs and so on. But, you know, despite all the funding that you provide, if no one actually buys the technology and, you know, they are always at a disadvantage, that's not going to help them. So I think if if the government had done something to that effect, that would have been a little bit better, actually. That, That would have been the only real major disappointment, if you ask me.
0: Now, moving away from disappointments and uh, expectations that have been met, a big talking point from this budget, and it's been a talking point for a while since February has been the capital gains tax. And -hmm. we've gotten some clarity around it, but maybe not enough clarity, I feel. Mm Because while there is an exemption here for venture capital companies, uh, Mm -hmm. angel investors don't seem to have gotten an an explicit exemption. Now, just for context though, the February 2023 announcement expressly stated that capital gains taxes Mm -hmm. would only apply if the disposer was a Company, but that mm-hmm. wasn't mentioned in last Friday's speech. So we've got a little bit of confusion possibly mm-hmm. here. So let's do a bit of speculation then. If individuals are also subjected to the capital gains tax, Doc, what are the possible implications to the startup ecosystem here in Malaysia? So
1: Roshan, this is a lack of clarity, I think. So the associations, Malaysian Venture Capital Association, Malaysian Business Angel Association, and the ECF Association, we lobbied the government to exempt VC funds and angel investors right from the capital gains tax and startup companies as well. So it was mentioned that VC funds are exempted, although the terms and conditions uh, haven't been mentioned, they probably will come up very soon. Uh, angels and founders was not mentioned at all. If we follow the February statement, then, you know, individuals may not be taxed. But if individuals are going to be taxed, I think angels probably can't run away from it, but there is an angel tax incentive for them, and that's been extended to 2026, which is another thing that's really good about this budget. But if founders are going to be taxed, and that that could come up with a major issue, because if a VC invests in a founder... Uh, and VCs are exempt, but not the founders, there is a strong likelihood. uh, I I use the word strong, but I'm I'm not sure whether it's a strong likelihood. But there is a likelihood that these companies may actually set up their headquarters or their holding companies in Singapore so that they themselves will not be taxed. And, you know, the tax on the founder can be significant, right? Because many of the founders, uh, they invested at par value or at very, very low valuation. So even if you get a 100 million ringgit exit, they could be in for a big shock when it comes to taxation. I hope that, you know, that doesn't happen. I hope, uh, like the February statement, individuals, including founders, are not going to be taxed. But if they are, then that could be a problem. And I think we would probably want to talk to the government about that issue going forward as well.
0: Now, other than that, uh, we also had exemptions for restructuring as well as... Uh, certain companies uh, get listed on local burst. Um Are these exemptions enough to offset any of the potential concerns from early-stage investors in terms of the CGT?
1: So there's been a lot of chatter among uh, investors in our, <laughs> in our different groups, you know. And the chatter is that, will IPOs now take off in Malaysia? Because if you exit via an IPO, and you know an IPO can even be a leap market IPO, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be main market or ace market. So if you even do an IPO via leap market, then you will not be subject to capital gains tax. So is that an escape route for, for founders? That might be the case. That is, of course, going to be good for Brusa Malaysia and the local boss if that happens. But leap market listings have always been a problem because there's no liquidity with leap market listings because only sophisticated investors can invest in leap market listings. However, the Securities Commission is looking at changing the criteria for sophisticated investors. So if you look at it holistically, the changes in criteria for sophisticated investors, the exemption given for companies that go IPO from capital gains tax, um, we might actually see more IPOs uh, as, as a model for exit so that you don't get capital gains tax. Or the guys might go and set up in Singapore instead. So I hope that it doesn't go that way. I hope they, they go the IPO way. And getting a leap market IPO is not complicated. A lot of companies, even without much profits, can go for a lead market IPO. Costs are there, but costs are also lower than ace market. So I think that might be one way to avoid capital gains tax if the government says individuals will also be
0: taxed. That is definitely something to keep an eye on going forward. Doc, we're going into a few messages. When we come back, we'll talk more about the 1.5 billion ringgit that will be allocated by GLCs and GLICs to invest in the high growth, high value area, as well as the BWD structuring happening with Mavcap, Panjana Capital and Kazana. More on this in just a bit and whether budget. 2024 hits the mark for the startup ecosystem. I'm Roshan Karnison. You're listening to Enterprise Biz Bytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2024 Special, brought to you by Marsing. Brand-friendly marketeers, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2024 Special is brought to you by Marsing. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bytes. I'm Roshan Karnison and this morning I've been speaking with Dr. Sivapalan Vivekaraja, senior partner and co-founder at ScaleUp Malaysia and we've been talking about what budget 2024 has in store for the startup ecosystem. Earlier we ran through the Sunicon wish list. There were nine recommendations to the government and three more or less have been fulfilled and uh, we talked a little bit about capital gains tax and its possible implications and the way around it as well. Now, Now, Doc, if we take a look, another key takeaway from the budget was that GLCs and GLICs are to allocate 1.5 billion ringgit to support startups involved in what they're calling high growth, high value sectors, which includes the digital economy, aerospace technology and electronic and electrical fields. This looks to be following a pattern of behavior that we've already seen from previous budgets where the government is looking to clicks and GLCs to put more money into the ecosystem So, was there anything particularly noteworthy on this point?
1: So, I think what's really good is the fact that the government has indicated a fixed amount, 1.5 billion. So, if you go back to the February budget, right, the government also indicated an amount of 1.5 billion coming from the GLICs, and this one was Kazana and EPF. And the biggest problem has always been execution. They say that there's going to be money allocated, and then we don't see the money. But in that case, Kazana actually did it very, very quickly. And within six months uh, of the announcement, they were already investing in companies. So that was very positive. And within six months, EPF also invested in two funds. Right? Uh, I think Final Startup was one of them. Gobi was the other. So it was done very quickly. So now we have this $1.5 billion from GLCs and Glicks as well. If they do it the same way and the money is invested quickly, I think it's going to be super positive for the ecosystem. Because that means, you know, besides the 1.5 billion from Kazanai EPF, we have another 1.5 billion coming in. And if this is done in the same way, that is via a fund of fund systems where a model where they actually invest in other funds and allow them to do the investments, I think this is going to be really positive. But I will be keen to know who, who are the GLCs and who are the GLICs, because among the GLICs, Kazana and EPF has already done it. Co-op has already announced that they're going to do some as well, 500 million So maybe the rest of it comes from GLCs. But this is very positive. I think I love this part of the announcement.
0: I'd also like to see the breakdown in terms of whether it's taking into consideration previous allocations as well. Because, you know, is the co-op announcement as part of this or is it a separate thing? But all this, I'm sure, will become clearer as we go through the bill in time. Speaking of -of fund-of-funds models and the positivity that we've seen in the ecosystem over the last few years, the government is looking to... Put government-backed venture capital agencies such as MAFCAP and Panjana Capital under Kazana National. I know you've been very positive on Panjana Capital's impact in the ecosystem over the last few years, Doc. So what are your views on this?
1: So it's interesting that they're doing this, right? Um, When I had my task force in 2019 under the former Minister of Science, Yobin, we actually came up with three recommendations. And one of those recommendations was to consolidate all the venture capital funds under one agency, right? And we said that there should be only three. One is venture capital, one agency, debt under one agency, which was Malaysian debt ventures and grants and developmental funding and the developmental aspect of the ecosystem under cradle fund. So now we know that cradle fund is doing developmental, right? And they're doing all the grants, they're doing developmental and has been left alone as a, as a debt agency. But now we're starting to see this consolidation happening. In fact, when Tunko Al-Zakri, who was chairman of MathCap, moved to become chairman of Penjana, you know, there was already an mm. indication of some sort that something was going to happen. And now that they've put both MathCap and Penjana under Kazana, it's also interesting to note that Kazana's uh, Dana impact is also there. And most people will not know it, but MTDC is also an agency under Kazana. So if you look at it now, the four major funding agencies are actually under Kazana. So that's actually good. Will they consolidate all of them into one? Or will there be some kind of a holding group that manages all of them? That remains to be seen. Uh, But in a sense, that takes away all the issues, we know people overlapping and overlapping funds and all of those kind of stuff, right? Although DANA Impact is more for impact kind of investments, the rest of them actually do traditional uh, science and technology and digital investments. You know, I have friends in all of these agencies. (laughs) They may not be happy with me for saying this, but it does look to me like there is going to be a consolidation into one single venture capital agency under Kazana. That might not be a bad thing actually. Uh, Hopefully, they all do it under fund of funds. So, because MathCap is currently doing fund of funds, Kazana DANA Impact is fund of funds, Penjana is fund of funds only MTDC is doing direct investment. So if they all are consolidated and they do it under fund of funds and we bring in more venture capital funds into the ecosystem, I think there's going to be very, very positive as well. So, you know, this budget has some many, many positive things and, and this is good as well.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to see how the execution is on this, whether we see Kazana internally have this pipeline of like, okay, between, you know, seed investing, pre-seed investing that happens under the, the venture capital, but then, you know, building a pipeline for itself for the later deals, right, which Kazana is always looking to deploy funds there. Speaking of consolidation and the startup ecosystem, the government also has allocated 28 million ringgit to upgrade a mostly run my startup, which I think is part of Cradle at this point. So it becomes a one-stop gateway that facilitates business activities of startups. This is, I think, something that's been asked for for some time, right? Uh, People have been looking at, can we have something like Enterprise Singapore, for example, where startups go to one place for all their needs? Uh, This initiative is looking to optimize the usage of funds amounting to 200 million ringgit right now placed under various different funding agencies and VC companies. Doc, your impressions on this and what you hope to see come out from it?
1: So this is what they've been speaking of as a single window. That means if you look at what's happening currently, almost every ministry and agency has some kind of funding going on, whether it's grant, whether it's uh, loans and stuff like that. That's where I think the $200 comes from, right? So what they're trying to do is they want to make one single startup agency, and that is Cradle. They want all applications probably to go through Cradle as well. Because one of the problems in the ecosystem is what they call grantpreneurs. That means these entrepreneurs apply for multiple grants and multiple loans from different different agencies and different ministries, and nobody really knows who is funding what. So some of them, you know, will get multiple grants for the same thing. So to avoid something like this, they've been talking about a single agency that manages all of these grants. What I don't know is whether if all the grants are now going to be consolidated under cradle, And whether you want an agricultural grant or trade grant or whatever it goes through cradle, or whether if they still manage their own grants, but all applications and approvals go through a single application, which is the My Startup. So I'm not sure about that. But it will for sure get rid of overlapping grants. So, you know, you don't get the same grant from two different agencies for the same project. It will get rid of that. It will get rid of grant runners, which is not a bad thing. But if, There are different grants for different purposes. For example, if you have one grant just to do R&D, for example, on a particular product or research, and maybe one grant that's for export purposes, this should not stop people from doing that. So you can get a grant, for example, for R&D and a grant for export. That should still be allowed. My worry is that they say, no, you got one grant and that's it, you don't get anything else. For different purposes, it should be okay. This also seems to come under cradle because they are looking at the entire startup development ecosystem. So, of course, we have MDAC as well that's looking at digital. Cradle is also looking at it. But I think under the Ministry of Science, under science and technology, everything seems to be going under cradle. Is it a good thing that everything goes under cradle? I think in some sense, it is good if it's for applications and approvals. But I think if they are expected to manage every single grant under every single ministry, I think they will struggle. So perhaps they don't need to do that. Because, you know, if you're doing agricultural grants, for example, it might be best done under Ministry of Agriculture because they have experts under that ministry. Uh, if you're going to do telecommunication, maybe it should go under Ministry of Science, for example, right? So so I think, you know, it, it's it's good in a sense, but I guess the devil is in the details. We need to see what this is really all about.
0: Yeah, no. In the, in
1: the end, we're still speculating, right? Because they said single <laughs> window. Uh, we still don't have the details.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's also what, what do they mean, right? As a one stop gateway? Do they mean that my startup will facilitate in the sense that we will connect you to the people that you need to go to, right? So we are the directory for all you need to know. So you don't have to go to seven different agencies to find out whether this grant is applicable or what you need for this we should be able to provide all that information to you in one place. So again, the devil's in the details. I'm sure we'll see more of this come out. And I'm sure we have uh, people that we can speak to to give us more clarity in time as well once the bill has been passed.
1: I hope it's not, if I can just add, I hope it's not like a postman's job, right? Mm. I hope it's not, you know, like if I want to do something, I have to go to cradle first. Cradle has to do some form of evaluation. And then they tell you, oh, go to this ministry for this If it's a postman's role, then I think, you know, it's going to slow things down. I think it'd be just information. And if you want to do certain things, this is where you go, you click and you go to the right agency. That's fine. So this is what I worry about. You know, that they add more processes, more restrictions in place. It might slow things down. I hope they don't do that.
0: Do you think this will go far enough in terms of, or at least other things that we've been seeing develop over the years, to address the friction that seems to stem from the current fragmented system we have for startups?
1: Actually, I think if we
0: talk about fragmentation for
1: startups, it's primarily the three agencies that we have now. We have Cradle, we have MDAC, and we have what they call them Maranti. So these are the three main agencies that startups actually currently work with. Maranti has focused very much on r and commercialization, so they have got their own focus areas. Overlaps actually happen between Cradle and MDAC because digital still goes through both of these agencies, but MDAC is not part of Ministry of Science. So, you know, they're still not part of this arrangement. So I guess if there is some consolidation and, you know, they do work together, that might be okay. But otherwise, there is less and less fragmentation these days anyway for the startup ecosystem, except for, you know, grants provided by multiple ministries, right? So I think this might help reduce friction.
0: And fragmentation. Doc, we're going into a few messages more on this in just a bit and whether budget 2024 hits the mark for the startup ecosystem. I'm Roshan Kunisan. You're listening to Enterprise Biz Bytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2024 special, brought to you by Marsing. Best for money, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2024 special is brought to you by Massing. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanderson, and this morning I've been speaking with Dr. Sivapalan Vivekaraja, Senior Partner and Co-Founder at ScaleUp Malaysia. And we've been talking about what budget 2024 has in store for the startup ecosystem. Doc, to encourage capital funding in local tech startups, tax incentives will be given to individual investors to invest in local startups through equity crowdfunding platforms up to December 2026 through the Nominee Limited Liability partnership structure similarly tax incentives for angel investors will be extended up till the end of 2026 as well doc you mentioned this earlier as an encouraging point there's this push the needle in terms of encouraging more capital allocators to invest in local tax startups not necessarily the amount but the number of investors
1: so let me address the angel tax incentive first that's a little bit faster so currently the angel tax incentive expires in december 2023 And we have seen with the angel tax incentive, a lot of angels have come into the ecosystem since 2015 when it was first approved. MBAN alone, Malaysian Business Angel Network alone, has 350, 360 angels. But a lot of them are also investing via equity crowdfunding. So the extension to 2026, which is three years, is going to be good because it helps us now to promote more angel investing. And primarily, if you look at our membership, over the last seven, eight years, 95% is actually in the Klang Valley. So what MBen has done is we have now extended our chapters, our angel networks into Sarawak, where we now have a chapter, and Penang, where we have another chapter. So we are, we are extending the angel networks and encouraging more angels from different states as well. If this incentive was stopped this year, that's going to hold back angel investing in different regions. And now we're also talking to people in Johor who want to do the same thing. So I think having this extension actually helps encourage more angel investing in other uh, in parts other than Klang Valley. And we have seen a lot of interest in Penang and also in Sarawak and hopefully very soon in Johor. So this has really been good, right? Because we need to have more angels in all of these areas as well. With Penang, there's a lot of e e kind of companies that angels can invest in. You know, with Sarawak, they're very, very active in promoting digital as well. So... Hopefully, that will be good. So, this has been really good, right? It helps not just Clang Valley, but now widen the scope to the different states as well. Now, in terms of the equity crowdfunding, this actually is not new. The incentive for investors to invest in equity crowdfunding is already there. They get 50% tax exemption for whatever amount they invest in. Now, there has been one small problem with that tax incentive in that in the Gazette, it says it can only be done via a nominee company, a nominee structure, which is a Sundrian Berhad nominee structure, which means it's only for those companies that are registered under SSM, Suron Syarikat Malaysia, or the Companies Commission. Now, when you have more than 50 investors, in which, which is a norm for ECF investments, you have to do it under a nominee structure. The other structure is the Limited Liability Partnership. So some of the ECF platforms have used a limited liability partnership and then discovered that the Gazette doesn't cover them. Uh. So if you have used a limited liability partnership, and some of them have done it, right? On the assumption, it will also qualify. But the Gazette is very clear. If you're not under company's commission, you don't qualify. So there's been a whole bunch of deals done that didn't qualify. So what the government has done now is to say, very clearly that even with the limited liability partnership, you still qualify for the tax incentive. So it is just uh, normalising that issue. It's not a new incentive, but it does make it easier because you can now use limited liability partnerships. Otherwise, a whole bunch of investors would not have been able to claim the tax incentive. (laughs) That would have been quite bad for all of them, I think. So this is just to make sure that everyone is covered.
0: To wrap up this conversation, Doc, in your view... I mean, the government very clearly stated that their goal was to become a top 20 ranking ecosystem for startups on a global scale by 2030. All these initiatives we've talked about, there are also others we haven't talked about. If we had to talk about them, I think we wouldn't stop talking. Are we headed in the right direction? And how much do all these initiatives in this current budget push us towards that goal?
1: So it's interesting that government wants to do this. I like the fact that they have actually set a target and they've set a target for, I believe, 2030. Is this doable? It depends on the criteria that people use to judge whether you are top 10, top 20 or top 30, and they've been using the criteria set by startup genome. Startup genome is the one that ranks the top ecosystems in the world. Malaysia is not in the top 30. It's in the top 21 to 30 of emerging ecosystems, right? However, if you look at the criteria, the two top highest-weighted criteria are performance and funding. Mm. So, performance, they look at, for example, how many unicorns are there in your startup ecosystem, how many exits are there in the startup ecosystem. So, if you don't have enough exits, you don't have enough unicorns or high-growth companies, you will not get a good strong weightage, which is why we're actually quite weak in that. Right? We don't have many exits in Malaysia. The second criteria is funding. Uh, they look at how much funding is available in your ecosystem so they wouldn't take singapore vcs investing in malaysia as part of the criteria Hmm. it must be within your own country how much funding is there how many vcs are there and how much funding actually has been done and then they look at talent and a couple of other issues but the highest weightage is these two factors so Are we going on the right path? I think we are, with more money coming into the ecosystem, 1.5 billion earlier. If this new 1.5 billion comes in, that's new money. Punjana Capital, I think, will be doing more rounds as well. So if all of this happens, then certainly there's more money coming in. It will help our ranking moving forward. But we also need to look at the first criteria performance. How do we get more exits? So maybe, you know, because of capital gains tax, we may see more exits via IPOs. That might help. But certainly that's one of the things that we, the one hundred unicorns, our recommendation, you know, was for GLCs to acquire companies. That's also an exit if they acquire. So I think if we can sort out that part of it, more exits, more high growth companies, uh, more unicorns, then I think we can get into a higher ranking. I think we can get into top 30 actually. Uh, Top 20 might be more challenging, but if we can sort out those issues and then we can sort out the talent issues as well, I think we can do it. And, you know, we have seven years to do this. It is very doable. I think the current government is on the right track. They seem to be doing all the right things. And if execution is done properly, and that's always the biggest if, (laughs) yeah. If execution is done well, I think, you know, we can achieve this target by 2030.
0: So I'm positive on that. Doc, just one last question before we uh, end our chat. Is there a particular reason why you're more favorable towards exits through an M&A as opposed to IPO? I mean, uh, is it because of the size of the companies perhaps? Uh, give us some context here.
1: So if you look at exits generally, not just in this region, but if you look at the US and so on, I think you know less than 5% of companies exit by an IPO. So getting an IPO is complex, complicated. Keeping an IPO going is quite challenging as well. And if you do an IPO, you know, for the founders themselves, they have a lot of milestones to meet, targets to meet. It's quite challenging. So generally speaking, if you look at over the last 20, 30 years, most exits have been buyer your M&As. It's easier to do an m especially if you have a strategic investor. It's quite easy to do that. However, if you have something like a lead market and people can exit by a lead market, and then, you know, they have time to build a business and go via an Ace Market IPO or any other IPO. That's also fine. But if you look at it historically, more than 90% are via MEs. So I don't see why that would be different in this region. However, Malaysian companies have not been acquirers. Our GLCs, PLCs have not become acquirers. I hope that changes in the next few years because we are starting to see more and more of them looking at the startup space. If that happens, it'd be good for us. Otherwise, I think, you know, probably a ace market listing or a leap market listing might be a better choice for an exit.
0: Doc, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much, Roshan. It's always been a pleasure.
0: Folks, I've been speaking with Dr. Sivapal and Viveka Raja, senior partner and co-founder at ScaleUp Malaysia. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other major podcast players. Just look up Enterprise Biz Bytes. Looking up ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1pm News Bulletin. So be sure to stay tuned for that. I'm Roshan Karnasen. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This BFM Budget 2024 special was brought to you by Ma Singh. Reinvent spaces. Enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.